Welcome, and you're listening to Geekologist Radio, a division of the Ninja Pancake family of podcasts. Hey, it's Dave, and welcome to Geekologist Radio's special Westworld review episode, where we take you through all things Westworld, and we accurately predict the future. So we're going to introduce our crew for tonight's cast. First up, we have me, I'm Dave. How's everybody doing? (laughs) We also got Chris here with us. What's up, Chris? Uh, Shogun, like, show me the money. (laughs) Cajun, you're here too. What's up, man? Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Oh. <laughs> that there's actually a Westworld-related cover right there to do yep. at your wedding. We'll cover that in a bit. <laughs> the best, the best. Okay, so let's get right into our first segment. We got a lot to talk about here. Cajun, what did we get right, and what did we get wrong? All right, two things we got right, and this is a minor one, but uh, we picked that Maven the gang were in Shogun World in an earlier episode. Uh, when they ended and the Shoguns were coming at them, um, we, we all said, yeah, they're in Shogun world. But a lot of YouTubers and websites all said they were still in Westworld because they believed Sizemore's narration that they were on a peak. He worked at the park. They believed he was there. I even uh, found something today where the YouTuber was adamant, and both of them were, that they were still there, and they were trying to figure out at what point they crossed over in the Shogun world. They never caught that they were there the whole time. It bothered me. Uh, that's that's just Sizemore not knowing where the hell he is, or yeah. maybe knowing exactly where the hell he is. But in either case, I th- there's not even a question they were in Shogun World. Like that yeah. was like it was like <laughs> I thought that was super obvious, but I guess yeah. maybe not. Some people weren't, and I, I, I've noticed that a few things. Like somebody makes a point, and then other people take it as fact, and then just continue on with it instead, instead of questioning it. And I think this was this was that, uh, and this was him taking Sizemore at his word, which you can't take anything on this show as it's at his word. You need multiple data points. Well, fortunately for us, we all have needles because we like to poke holes in things, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, this one, this is a theory that is not proven, but it picked up a lot of evidence, in, in my opinion. Um, fell upon an old piece of evidence, which was YouTube Rickroll video. If you know what it is, uh, before Season 2 started, the Westworld crew released a video that uh, they were going to reveal the biggest secrets of Westworld to everybody. And it ended up being three scenes and I'm going backwards now basically a dog sitting at a keyboard which is basically backward which is basically a keyboard cat except it's a dog and it was a long it's like 20 minutes of that um then there was a uh Dolores singing and Clementine playing the piano doing Rick Ashley never gonna give you up so the straight on Rick roll acoustic version and there's and there's a scene of Bernard getting off the train and going through Teddy's uh, storyline from original Sweetwater and all those were thought to be just they're making fun of us but we had a theory that this as credence to because of the original if we take the Westworld creators at their word and this was a big reveal Bernard as Teddy theory this is a piece of evidence one more piece of evidence to support that so I uh, that one's having more legs. Originally, I was a little salty on that one uh, more than some of you, but uh, that one's getting some legs now. 
Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we had Bernard like literally just IFing the Teddy dead doll uh, <laughs> on that pile. So, yeah, yep. I think that that has a lot to do with wait, it. Wait, wait, yep. and There's it all comes back around because you know what was going through his head when he was looking at dead Teddy on the pile? We're no strangers to love. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he was thinking, thinking of man. That, that Dolores was great. <laughs> That's what he was thinking. Man. I remember that. Oh, man. <laughs> That's tough stuff. There is one thing that we got wrong, and I have to admit, it, you know, I, I got to admit when I'm wrong. I predicted not only that there's a multiple Bernard's theory, but that we would be given the proof right here in episode five. And I felt like that was going to happen just because we saw a teaser in one of the commercials for Westworld way early on where you actually saw a few different Bernards in a room. And I thought, there's no way that they're putting that in a trailer for the show, like as a flashing, you know, fleeting moment. If that's not part of the first five episodes that we know they already showed to reviewers, at least. I figured that would be an early reveal. And I figured since this was episode five, this is the last one that some people had already seen ahead of time, uh, you know, the press and whatnot. So I figured it has to happen in this episode. Well, uh, it didn't. But now I'm going to throw out another prediction that it will definitely, definitely, extra double definitely happen in episode six. You doubled down in Discord, like, right before it ho- like the show started. I'm like, ah, oh, we're going to get 90% Shogun, 10% Dolores. And then you threw in and a little bit of Bernard. You, you were and still Bernard, doubling and down. And Bernard, and Bernard. And Bernard, and yeah. Chipping down. So, yeah, yeah. You, went down, you went down fighting on that one. Yeah, well, that's like tweeting something that's completely wrong and then people calling you out for it and then like tweeting no no that's what i really meant yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i i I was wrong that it was going to happen in episode five but i now definitely think it will happen in episode six and if it doesn't then it'll definitely happen in episode seven (laughs) man Accurate prediction in the future in our title is uh, is fading right now it's fading from facts to fiction no, it's coming, man. It's coming, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, some of the stuff that we're going to inference later leads to credence that that's going to be the case, regardless of whether you even knew anything in previews or not. Do you know what I mean? Like, what was said leads right. to the fact that there's potential, so. Yep. Now, uh, moving into the review, one of the first things we do is I review the title. And uh, the title of the episode was A Cane No My, which means the dance of a cane. Now, Reddit early on said it was the red dance. You probably see some websites and reviews out there that call it the red dance. Uh, But that was an early interpretation and actual people with Japanese language ability didn't support that at all. They said, no, it's the dance of a cane. That's what it is. And that's actually uh, the name of the geisha running the house. Um, And what her dance is, is she removes the head of her oppressor. And this leads to May fully realizing her power. So that's her dance. Her dance removes the head of her oppressor and fully realizes her powers. Those two things there, which could be possibly leading to Maeve's less passive awakening as a leader of this group, Mm -hmm. Um, reluctantly taking the lead. Now, all of this was done. Her dance was done to the oriental acoustic version of Cream by Wu-Tang Clan, which was why I did that song in the intro, because I didn't catch that originally. I had to find some of that, some of that out later when I actually heard the song. I was like, oh, it's Cream. <laughs> that was fun catch. 
now it's our new segment. Well, actually, it's not so new. Last week, Dave did it. Dave oh. crapping on Westworld. That's right, but we've made a slight revision this time around, courtesy of Rage and Cajun. It is now Dave craps on Westworld for a minute, then comes to his senses, then Chris and Cajun hijack this segment at the end. Yes. So (laughs) I'm going to go on a quick rant here, and this all starts in the big scene right around the dance of Akane. Okay, so my first thought, I see Maeve all of a sudden just start jumping into people and taking them over with her mind, and I thought, all right, so now what? Maeve is Neo from The Matrix? How soon is she going to be able to fly? Like, her abilities have just uh, gone on to such a high level in such a short amount of time, it's unbelievable. Now all of a sudden she can control other hosts with her mind, presumably via the mesh network, right? So how could anybody, Dolores and her army, anybody, possibly stand up to Maeve? If she can just, using the meth mesh network take over every host that's around her nobody's going to stand a chance it's almost like giving way too much power to one character that being said i am going to walk it back just a touch because even though that's my initial reaction a at this point i trust these writers to know that they would know not to give somebody so much power that they couldn't continue to tell a compelling story where characters are in danger I'm sure that things will unfold in a way that makes sense. I, I trust them at this point. And B, I think that it could end up being an opportunity to put characters in some really unique situations and, and create some unique and different danger than we've seen in the past. Maeve is the might of multi-tool. <laughs> Actually, I'll go with Maeve as Professor X. And yeah. Professor X in X-Men is defeatable. Uh but he can control everybody except Magneto when he's wearing his helmet. But Nave can control basically, we say half, a, a, a lot of what's out there because that's with AI. So she can't control the humans. So think about all the times Professor X loses and how he's defeated. You can apply that to this. What I love is that Westward prefaces stuff. So they preface the mesh network and then they show how it's used after it's just lightly mm-hmm. talked about by Bernard. They showed it twice, once when they when they were able to find Abernathy and now with this. So I think it's really nice when they give you a nugget, They it pays out, but it, it may be two or three episodes later that it pays out. Mm-hmm. They plant those seeds. Yeah. it was a, There was a comment on Twitter, by the way, by Star Wars Explained, uh, you know, who's a popular Star Wars tweeter and YouTuber and such. And he said that Maeve needs a nerf and that she's too OP, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> great uh, great way to kind of capitalize on the fact that there are all these parallels between Westworld and video games and all of that. I, I thought that was clever. Nice. Now, my taking over the segment, I have one quick hijack, is that I'm going to throw my complaint in there too, is that how can that Shogun stand up and walk with his mind core completely removed from the rest of his body? So AI can operate on delayed pulses electric impulses like small animals can like you cut off their head they move for a little bit i would think it's just done at that point no impulses nothing did you not think for a second that he was going to get up and take another swing i did i was like wait what why is he standing like it really <laughs> freaked me the hell out because i thought he was going to take another swing at like another swing at her and he, yeah, and he didn't the only way is if the core was still there like if she got off the top of his head and the core was still exposed i think that's the only way that works but i think it, from the looks when I saw it, it looked like the bottom of the core was in the top of his head. But unless the core was still in there, then that would have made sense. But other than that, uh, uh, no. 
there's a couple of things that I am crapping on, and one I know Cajun doesn't really agree with, but I I feel like Dolores might be Robert Patrick, the T-1000 from Terminator 2, because she can self-heal without showing any damage. I mean, she took two bullet shots, and when you when they showed them in the last episode, because I rewatched it again, she has huge red gouges that are in her shoulder and her stomach. And then they, you see her in this episode, and it's just a black line here and a black line here, and that's all there is. So I don't know if she took one of those lighters that MIB had a couple of weeks back and just torched herself to clear it up, but it was not recognizable on her shoulder blade at all. Like, it, not at all. And not even in, it. Not even in the air quotes sex scene with Teddy. <laughs> that was not, oh, like, yeah. uh, so I looked for it there, too, and it wasn't there. The next thing I'm going to complain about are if you're the Digos and you have a Shogun that cuts off your ears, how the hell are you going to hear him to give you any directions? He, he, they can't hear me, but they sure shit can't hear him either. So, like, <laughs> how, 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 how do they take direction? Is it oh. just hand, is it hand yeah. signals? But he I was mean, going that, crazy, too. So yeah, he, he but, probably didn't think that through. He probably didn't think that through. I mean, he was leaking crap out of his ear. And the last one is what I just mentioned before, literally the worst sex scene I've ever seen on television. It was beyond, it was like watching a soap opera. It was terrible. This is coming from Westworld that like literally shows full frontal nudity of female and male characters, and they can't get that right. I'm like, don't even that the scene it didn't progress the scene. It gave me no indication that they were any closer. Like I without that scene, I still would have believed Teddy would have like given his life for her and blah blah blah. It was just terrible. And extreme use of body doubles. It's like, yes. that's not that one, and that's not that one. Nope. That one's okay, I can see their face, now it's nope. back to extreme body doubles. Yeah. Listen, she signed up for two scenes of showing whatever that she was going to show, and that's the end. That was in the contract. Done. Like, you're not getting <laughs> nothing else. Maeve, you're not getting nothing else. That's it. Like, this is just like how it was in, like, in, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, some other shows, but, like, where they show, oh, Game of Thrones. You show nudity for the first season, then you get popular, and then all of a sudden that just disappears. The main characters <laughs> never get naked again. Yeah, sign a contract. You can't cast anybody else now, so guess what? This ain't happening. This ain't happening. <laughs> all right, we should probably head into our character motivations. Yes. Uh, this week we have uh, four instead of five, because uh, there wasn't a lot of characters that really uh, got time on the screen but first one is may she had definitely the most time but we saw that she can sense host intent and she can control host through thought we saw that at the end but what i mean by host intent is that when the ninjas were coming in to fight or coming into attack she started having these glimpses and images of them and that was i believe her feeling their intent through the mesh network so she's coming to terms with her power and that was one of the first realizations of it um now, after this, she's going to feel invulnerable because she can do both of those things. She can feel when they're going to be attacking her and then counteract their attack. And she might incline to engage in conflict also after watching her doppelganger chop off the dude's head and realize because the doppelgangers are both characters were taking advice from each other. There was like a feedback loop there between the doppelgangers in uh, Shogun World. And I think May's feedback is she needs to be more aggressive. Yeah, I was. What I was going to mention. Uh, one is it that may finish some lines for for Arcane, and that's only because it was in her loop. Those were th- words that she had said herself. So that's why how she was able to finish the lines that Arcane was saying. Um, she had done it in season one. It was like episode three where she used those lines. So that's how she was able to like literally verbatim say exactly what she was going to say next, which I thought was cool. And you saw that too with Clementine. So like the, they kind of they transitioned that pretty well. Um, the other thing that I was going to to say is. That I don't know. I'm I'm trying to blank, I'm kind of blanking on what I, I where I was going to go it's, with something it's below else. Below Dave's, Dave's was next. Yours was yeah. below his. So Dave, go mm. while Chris gets his thoughts. Sure. 
you know, one of the things that we saw cemented in a much bigger way in this episode, although we've kind of seen it building, is that Maeve really is the white hat to Dolores's black hat. So Maeve, we see her showing great compassion. She's going out of her way to try and help Sakura and Akane. She attempts to grant Akane full truth, right? She's trying to use the mesh network to help her realize you're a host and this isn't reality and all of that. But Akane shakes it off. She doesn't want it. And she backs off when Akane wishes her to. So Maeve is respecting her wishes, even though that's not where she wants to go and she wants to awaken Akane she recognizes and respects her wishes. That is uh, not something that we see out of Dolores. So we see Maeve really um, genuinely caring about the other hosts that are around her and showing real compassion and empathy. Where I was going to go with um, Cajun talking about Maeve is the only person that we've seen able to control uh, hosts in the way that she did was Ford. Um, you might think it was Bernard in that scene, but Bernard also whispered to somebody in order to get that control. He, he wasn't doing it mentally. So the only person that we've been able to see that literally just has a thought, and I'm thinking of the scene where Ford was sitting um, and the construction and everything mm. just stopped. And he just, he didn't say anything. He just like literally gave a look and we thought it was a word, but now I'm thinking it wasn't a word. I'm thinking that maybe Ford was connected mesh this way too, and that's how he was able to stop everything. Yeah, but that would mean Ford's an AI. See, I always noticed in those scenes that Ford's hand was pinched together, and I think he had some sort of control device that they never fully revealed. Because every time he controlled stuff and everything stopped, one of his hands, his left hand, uh, I think if I remember correctly, was pinched together. So that's my thinking, was that he was controlling them, but not with his mind, because how does a human mind connect to a mesh network? An AI mind has Wi-Fi. It can do it, but the other mm, one does not. Could be a chip added into his... Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Let me go. Let me. That's a great thought, and I might use it later. <laughs> okay, take um, that seat. Let it uh, go into a plan. <laughs> yeah. As far as character motivations for me, uh, I've been screaming Maeve is the most awoke in the park from, like, ever now. I feel like she's the most awoke. Uh, there's not even a question. I still feel – we'll get into what I feel about Dolores later. Um, but I, I think she's shining in this episode. We learn that she what she accomplishes is not through her program, and the ability to care for someone else is not in her DNA. Like, so this is, she's way outside of what is programmed for her. And she says as much, um, she says it to Sizemore and she's like, I'm not programmed to care about other people besides myself. So I think that gives you proof that she's awoke. Um, and, uh, not only is she doing that, she did it for her, not only is she awoke for her daughter because she cares for her daughter, which I guess you could say is part of her program. Uh, but when you see it for a cane, it's completely different. She doesn't have to, mm-hmm. which I think is, is a great character I th- development, especially for her because, I wasn't sure where she was, and I think we were all kind of not sure where Maeve was at um, as far as the emotional spectrum besides her daughter. Her daughter was the motivation. Now we're learning that she's a little bit bigger than that. Yes, sir. Now moving on to the next character, we have Dolores we're going to go over, and uh, she sees anyone that's not in her Machiavellian view as a disease and needs to be wiped out before they affect others so the hurt survives. And for her, it's as simple as that. Either... She pops them like in Ghost Nation, or she flips the script on them like Teddy. Dave? Yeah, you know, and Dolores here again, we see her as the black hat in contrast to Maeve's white hat. Dolores is here, and she's becoming so much more manipulative. And she has no qualms about killing people to get what she wants. And she wipes out anybody who stands in her way, even Teddy. And even after... 
you know, we, we have this scene where she reveals, you know, I, I've been thinking about my feelings about you and are they real or were they programmed? They're real and, and they're lasting and they've always been there. But I don't really think that you're quite the best you you could be, so I'm going to have a tech hack your brain and change you around and make you more aggressive and do all these other things to you. That is completely the opposite of what Maeve would have done. You know, Maeve, we had a scene with Akane where she, you know, kind of, Akane goes in a different direction and Maeve respects that. With Teddy, it's, no, it's my way or the highway and I'm going to alter your very being to fit my mold. As a side note, this really sounds like something my wife would do to reprogram me to wash the dishes or do the laundry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these violent delights have violent ends. Yes, dear. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think that Dolores is becoming what she <clears throat> hated so much. And you can, you can watch her basically turn from AI to, like, human characteristics of like Ford, like the stuff that Ford did, the stuff that she despised where they were taking control of other people and determining their, where they ended up is exactly what she's doing right now by taking out the disease. Um, what I mentioned, uh, as far as motivations and things was just a simple story that she told about the blue tongue. And you can trail that back to the Confederados because when she talked about that story, she talked about the fact that the flies were the ones that were actually carrying the disease and it wasn't the cows that they had anticipated. So they had to stack the cows up, burn them, and the smoke caused the flies to go away. That's exactly what they did with the Confederados. She pulled a, a fake move, killed all the Confederados, it blew the explosions up, burnt, and the smoke came. You could see the smoke rising up mm -hmm. from that scene, and all of the humans went away. And so I, she's still, to me, she's on narrative. She's absolutely on narrative, and she's just pulling from Wyatt and pulling from uh, the daddy story where she was the farm girl. But every time you hear her, she's not breaking character. She's just pulling from one character or the other. Yep. Quickly touching back, uh, Maeve, I think, right now is the only one not on narrative. William is on Ford's narrative, and Dolores seems to be on narrative. But like you were saying before, she's the most woke because I still believe Ford did not know Maeve was as woke as she was. And that's why her story is the most original and uh at the point, I thought she was still on narrative, but I think right now that's completely gone out the window for me. Yeah. So speaking of character motivations, we also have Teddy here. You know, we've been talking a lot on previous episodes about poor Teddy and, and how he's been like a lost puppy dog. But we also saw in episode four how he started making some decisions for his own that were contrary to the wishes of Dolores in, uh, you know, letting that one guy go. And we also saw Dolores kind of testing him to see, you know, is this guy the right guy to have by my side? I don't know. So we had a lot of payoff from all those those kind of loose ends in this episode. Uh, you know, first of all, he's still he he's so super in love with Dolores that it's just so sad and you pity him. Uh, but just as Dolores has learned Teddy's true nature in this episode and made a decision about you know, kind of breaking ties with him, and she's displeased with him, I think that we could also be seeing the same thing with Teddy, you know, that disappointment. And he's sort of seen her going in directions that he hasn't been crazy about previously, and we started to see some cracks in that armor a little bit, but I think that after this, if somehow he's able to maintain some of his own self, we know that he's been altered here, uh, but if he is able to maintain some of his, his own memory and, and self moving forward 
Um, I think that Dolores may end up having a worthy adversary here on her hands because he's seen Dolores' true colors and he may not stand for it any longer. So th this whole thing is taking some interesting twists and I'm curious to see where it ends up. Yeah, leading into mine, that's that's the memory part, something I, I just wrote down on mine as well, was that a future Teddy, he's going to operate in Dolores' image. His aggression was up, his compassion was turned down on the little control pad. And so he's going to be very similar to what Dolores' Wyatt character is. But like you're saying, he's going to do it with memory of what happened. And so when you have this aggressive person operating under the betrayal of the person he was compassionate about, and you turn his compassion down, even the, even the tech warned her, like, you can't do this without resetting the memories or story, or I forgot to reset, reset something, then... That I think that reset part, that part of his comic, because nothing in, in the show is on accident, is what's going to come back to haunt Dolores. Okay, can I ask but, you a question? Are, you mentioned yeah. that they upped his aggression and and turned down his compassion. Was so I had paused quite a bit on the screen of that tablet uh, to see what changes or alterations they were making to Teddy, and I had a hard time making sense of it. Did you? Did you pull that from that tablet screen, or where did you see that it was specifically those those traits? No, I, I did pull a tablet screen. I did do a search on like what they did with Teddy, and I just tried to find somebody who did that. And I found someone who said they upped the compassion and aggression, and I assumed that they were able to do it because I hadn't been able to pause the scene and I didn't have the image to do it. So I just at this point making the assumption that where I found that is correct. Um, so that if, you, could be, if you go with subtitles, you can see it. That subtitles will tell you what that is. When they're doing stuff on screen, if you go to subtitles, it'll tell you what the character is doing and what they're what they're doing for people that can't hear. Oh, so like it, like full full uh, yeah yeah full, full deaf full, subtitles full yeah. full deaf subtitles. So it is that you're absolutely correct about what it what it was. It was the the heightening and the lowering. So that's okay. that's a hundred percent on. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree, uh, about the tech thing. Um, one thing that I noticed is she, she said that like, she wasn't afraid of the fact that Teddy could break. She didn't care. Do it. And if he breaks, great. And if he doesn't, he, I get what I want. Either way I win. So, you know, I, at this point, we don't even know if Teddy's going to be functional. We're assuming that he's going to be evil and want to do all the stuff that we're talking about. He might not even work at all. Or he might go crazy like Abernathy did. I mean, he might just go off the, the deep end like Abernathy. So we we have no idea what's going on with Teddy. Um, what I have down is that Teddy isn't as dumb as people think he is and that he knew what Dolores was planning and he tried to play the emotional card here. It didn't work. Uh, and I partially believe he cares about her and partially believe that he was confused. But ultimately, he was just trying to do what he thought was good for the betterment of everybody. I don't think that he – I think he loves her. But I think he thought that if I play this card and tell her that I just – let's just go someplace. Let's just do whatever – that she'll say like yes and leave and it just it didn't work and so he was like well maybe if i sleep with her you know or maybe like he's trying anything he can do to pull emotional cards on her and it's just not working mm -hmm. yep um now going into an, a human's motivation right now we're going into size more um his are a little for me Simple because he doesn't have some program we're trying to interpret. He just doesn't want to die over these robots and stories he wrote. To me, he's that simple-minded of a person that I I wrote all this stuff and I don't want to die here in this world that I helped build. Uh, please, I just need to get out of here. What, what what do I need to do to get out of here? And he's trying to figure out that right now. Yeah, you know, and, and he's an interesting character too. I think that he's... 
become a lot more interesting to me in season two than he was in season one. You know, he's very selfish, and we've seen that time and time again. We've also seen him sort of become a part of this group, but, you know, all the time he's kind of been a reluctant participant in whatever Maeve is doing. So when he finally has another chance here to do something to kind of save his own skin, he sees that phone in the pocket of the dead Delos agent who's there in uh, in Shogun World, and he steals that phone out of his pocket, but he doesn't tell anybody else. So that definitely has the hallmarks of something that's being set up for a future betrayal a couple of episodes down the road maybe, or maybe it's in the next episode, just to try and save his own skin. So I'm curious to see where that ends up, or if he does end up having a chance to kind of save himself, but then feels bad and helps out Maeve and everybody else as well, or if he just kind of stays true to his selfish nature. Uh, he He's an interesting character, and I'm curious to see how that plays out. We talk about the embodiment of Fortuna, and that is Sizemore, because every situation that he's in, he's getting lucky. And it's because he's, he's obviously, it's because he's around Maeve, and that that's kind of her, her shtick. But um, for me, Sizemore is just a one-note character. I don't think he's grown very much from season one. Uh, he's, he reminds me of, like, Steve Urkel. Like, he was supposed to be on Family Matters for, like, one episode, and it was like, oh, great. Well, now he's back for season two. <laughs> and so now he's yeah. just sticking around. Like, we and we don't know why he's sticking around. I mean, I guess it's to be, like, a... a it's comic relief it's like this we know something's gonna happen so we're keeping him for an entire season for one line that it pays off at the tail end i i don't know i don't really care for him i just i he's not the looking he wasn't looking out for himself when he when he was telling Maeve to look out in shogun world he's looking out for himself it's it's always the same thing with this guy now saying all this he is does set himself up being such an unlikable character for a great character redemption for being that moment where like you said earlier he could take that step one way and then turn and be like, no, Maeve's right. And then turns to help and does some sacrificial thing. He could have that moment. We can th- back on Team Sizemore. The one thing he has going for him is he's human. So her mesh s- stuff doesn't work on him. Right. So, I mean, he could bail and she could try to chase after him. But ultimately, her power it doesn't work on him. Yep. Now, moving on to our next segment, uh, Fact or Fiction. We basically cover what we know. New facts we know from this episode and what we don't know. Now, uh, one of the things uh, we know was that the cradle held host backups and was destroyed by the fire. That little bit we got from uh, the discussion. Uh, Another thing we know was that Maeve couldn't control Ghost Nation earlier this season because she couldn't speak Lakota. Like we see, she couldn't speak Japanese, so she couldn't control them. And when she tried to control the Lakota, she couldn't, uh, the Ghost Nation, she couldn't speak their language. And that was a big find uh, in the, uh, I'm going to credit this one to Sizemore FTW from the Westworld uh, Reddit Discord for this find, because he pointed this out earlier today. And I was like, oh, yes, that makes so much sense, because we had this question on why it happening. We theorized it was Elsie, but no, it was this. It was a language barrier thing. So again, planted the seed, let it grow, reveal why later was uh, exactly what happened here. All right, Chris, you got something? Yeah, um, I, I had down that the narratives in Westworld, along with the character types, have been rehashed for other parks. Uh, we just mm-hmm. learned that. I mean, that was a throw-off line by Sizemore, but basically it was just like, well, we have 300 narratives. I mean, I mean, we're going to rehash some of them. And so they did, which then led to the fact that you can see that the doppelgangers of themselves in other worlds totally Fs with their counterparts. So 
um, and perhaps that's the reason why hosts have to be separated from other parks because if they see themselves or they see characters in their likeness it could totally screw with them so i don't know if that's a reason why but i you saw that just when you saw them all standing near each other specifically like hector and armistice was like i mean she was like voodoo looking at like at herself like raising her hand and stuff like that so it's kind of creepy yeah and hector was actually was thoroughly aggressive against his doppelganger he's like yeah no, i can't trust this guy he's me he's me <laughs> which is awesome now, what we don't know, some of the things we don't know, these are questions brought up in this episode for us. Uh, one was, why are the hosts in the water, that, that Strand and team are pulling out of the water, why are a third of them blank? We don't know that. We have theories, but we don't know why. Um, we don't know if we'll see other doppelganger AI in future episodes, or will this be like a one-time niche thing for this one? Because there's still multiple parks out there. How often did Sizemore reuse narratives? And when you're talking about doppelgangers, you're talking about like in different worlds versus like actually having like two Teddies or three Bernards, correct? Correct. Not okay. a full-on okay. doppelganger, but I just yeah. wanted to make sure that like when we talked about it like that, so that because I know we have right. stuff that we're talking about like later. Maven Akane yeah. and yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my questions is, what the f happened to Hector? We just left him. She left him for a second time. It was kind of like at the Mesa where she just like bailed on him and, and he was like, oh, I'll hold everybody off and I'll cause a distraction. And he caused another distraction. So is she going to find him at another bar or drinking sake someplace? Like maybe that maybe that'll be the case. We don't know. Um, also, is the Ronin awoke? Remember, he left the Shogun and left their army. So is he awoke? Because he, he that's off script. That's not part of script. Uh, that is part of script because he's basically that character. Like he. Uh, the Shogun coming into that town is off script. Sizemore says that. But the Ronin leaving the army, uh, that is that's script. script. That is yeah, script? That's okay. script. Yeah, that's script. Yeah. Then uh, I misunderstood. Sizemore wrote that. Yeah. I misunderstood when I when I saw that because it gave me the impression that he wa- that was off script. Yeah. It was right back to back when the Shogun come into town. Like Sizemore says he doesn't write it, but he didn't write the Shogun coming into town. Okay. But uh, everything up to that point where the Ronin was involved because the Ronin was in the town being the Hector character that mm-hmm. was on script. And I'm assuming, and this is, he didn't say this, but I'm assuming because the first time Sizemore said he didn't write that was when the show would come in and he was okay with everything else. So I'm assuming everything else that happened was Sizemore's script up to that point. When Armistice shouts out, watch out when her backside is exposed uh, and she turns around and shoots the arrow. I was like, that's awesome. Like, that was in, that well that was the saving line right there especially when they saw the tattoos the snake tattoos back to back on each other yep and i like that line it was like a, a snake can become a dragon yeah because she noticed the dragon yep yep that was awesome yep uh what i have one question we don't know is what is the cradle uh we know strand and others know of its existence kind of when i first heard of it and when we first heard of it we put it into it's the dory it's glorious the valley beyond it's all those places that we're going far down to or could it be a separate place could it be just another place that's not a secret that men and butt uh kept from everybody else um and so very curious as to what exactly it is we know some stuff about it but not nearly enough to make a definite determination you brought up the x-men thing it totally reminds me of professor x's like dome where he can see things and see everything and know everything that's going on and where it's going on in the world with Mm -hmm. mutants I think yes. that, that reminds me of the cradle. Um, my my biggest question coming out of this is where where is the train Dolores is getting headed? Where the hell is it going? Is it going to the Mesa? Is it going to blow up a tunnel? Is it going to get her the hell out of Dodge? Where is it leading? I thought that she was 
holding up at the train for a little bit in Sweetwater because she thought Abernathy was coming back because he kept talking about having to get to the train. And so part of her thought that that might be the case and the other part of her was trying to get out. So she knows it means get out, but she also knows it means her dad might be there. So it might kill two birds with one stone for her. Right, and I think that is, you're right, the double part of going to get her dad, not sure where he's at, could be there, but um, unless she heard something that they were going to the Mesa. Um, but the, yeah, the other part is because the train only really, for our knowledge, it only goes to Sweetwater and to the Mesa. And to Mesa. We don't know if yep. it goes anywhere else. Well, they know the tracks, no, because the tracks go somewhere and they be, they're built by those workers all the time. So my that question, could be that's my question is build. if they're adding bodies and they're changing the direction of the tracks that Man in Black said they were, will that train go to where Dolores thinks it's going to go or is it going to go in a different direction? I like that, that she's getting on the train to go somewhere and, oh, Ford redirected the tracks. I'd hate to see what happens to that train when it runs over those bodies and puts all this weight oh, on those, man. those corpses. But <laughs> but you had men in, you had MIB linger on that scene. I mean, it marinated mm-hmm. for a minute that he was like, oh, it's supposed to go blah, 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 but it's actually going blah, blah, blah. Like it was supposed to go north, but, it, but now it's going west. So is west going to Shogun? Like where Maeve is at, and the tracks lead them two together all at one time, and that's where they meet up. Could be. We don't know. Every, everything's a seed, man. E- everything's that's a, a seed. seed. The other two things we already talked about. We talked about Sizemore's phone. We don't know how it comes into play. And I also talked about um, how Teddy reacts to the change. Like, we don't know how Teddy's going to react to the change. Is he going to be mean? Is he going to be alive? We don't, or, you know, how, how's it going to be? So We're all super curious. Yeah. Yep. Which, and speaking about all that, so. Um, you know, before we move on to our predictions and things, I think it's important that we just take a moment and just zoom in a little bit more on that brief scene we had talking about the cradle, because I think there was a lot in there that we already hinted at a little bit in what we know and what we don't know. But um, I think it's important to pick this apart a little bit further. So toward the beginning of this episode, you're in the brief 11 days later timeline and you have that Delos strike team and they actually used surveillance cameras to check on the condition of the cradle. And this was at the same time that we had the revelation that one-third of the hosts that were drowned had blank control units. So they're showing an actual picture of the cradle now on the tablet. And it looks like there was a fire. It looks like there was extensive damage there. It's really in bad shape. Not only that, but they also talk about the fact that the quote-unquote Host backups were irretrievable. And that right there opens a lot of doors, and that's a big question mark. What exactly do they mean by host backups? Does it mean data storage? Is it backups of the control units, so the, per- the scripted personalities? Are there backups of the information that they're stealing from guests? You know, the, the DNA and, and experiences and memories and things. Is it our host backups, actual physical backup versions of the hosts, which ties into some things that we've kind of seen the show heading in that direction uh, in previous shows that we've talked about. So, you know, that's kind of an open question right there. But that tells us that something about that cradle and something about those host backups, that's going to be a big deal. Because they took time out of an episode that was almost entirely dedicated to uh, Shogun World and then Dolores, and they made a point to make sure that that piece was in there. 
I I had mentioned it in Discord. The line that stuck out was, "Did we really lose a third of our IP?" When the he IP says IP line, I, I that IP line says all I need to know about what it is. It's not the it's the backups. It, they want all of that information, and it's not that if it's when he looked at that and that's gone, he doesn't care about what's currently on there, like what how like how they're currently built. He wants all that information about their experiences. That's gone. That's the IP. That's what they're after. That's what Daylo. Now that says to me, oh, it really is about you know converting that information into uh, money. Yep. And whether Ford was not allowing that to leave and their concern with getting that information out of the park, the whole secret Teresa Charlotte mission, and getting this up at Peter Abernathy was the fact that they were concerned that he was going to burn it all down. Um, could it have been just that, the information about these host backups, or was it this more stuff, the the guest experiences? Because he's the COO, Strand's the COO. He could easily know. We can't, we can't assume William is the sole secret carrier of all this, building all this himself with nobody else knowing. So he could have a few people know, and Strand could be another person that knows. What I think that you you might be able to kind of make you can make leaps here is that they've already got into play that they have this information so if they owe money or owe information to people that have already paid out for it and they've lost it they're in a shit ton of trouble like they're and it's not we're not talking about like mom and pops we're talking about high level executives world leaders that could be that have paid millions of dollars for this and now that all this information is lost oh yeah to to keep their backups there. Oh yep. yes, like I want to, I want to live forever type stuff. Yep. All right. Now moving into predictions, uh, I actually have something this week. So I was I was light on predictions last week. Again, non-existent. I was more of the whole poker. Uh, but there was one that came up previously, and was that Bernard in the two weeks later or the eleven days later um, was in a loop, and Delos was trying to get information out of him, and I wasn't on board with this at all. Um, because our theory revolved around mainly him being a host in this loop physically with the actors around there. And I just didn't buy that scenario as much. Um, but I'm in the camp now. But I'm in the camp of it being a simulation. Now that we know that there's some simulation side to this crater, we see Bernard's head in there. Uh, and we've seen some stuff from the Westworld website that uh, shows it as a simulation. And I'm a credit to uh, Misfit Girl 66 in the Westworld Disc Girl for bringing this theory to my attention, uh, the simulation part, because again, I, when I first heard it, I was in the camp of it. When I looked a little deeper, I figured there was more to it. And it's a weaker theory, but uh, uh, Bernard needs to reveal something. And I think Bernard in this loop has shown minor inconsistencies. Our vision of the loop has minor inconsistencies. Um, and so like hosts, they're executed in a different order when we see him walking by the host. Um, when Bernard passes through the DNA sniffer in Charlotte's lab, he passes through no problem. They're supposed to detect human or AI and he passes through no problem. Um, and the fact all of these characters, um, are asking him questions all the time leads me along this line. Chris, I was going to say something that leads to that too. Um, Stephen Ogg's character in that scene where they upped, they ramped up his character to be virtuous. Mm-hmm. When you see Stephen Ogg's character the first time, and he's on the beach, he's like, "You wouldn't go after a lady," and he goes to charge after him. That character is the ramped up version of Stephen Ogg from when they changed him. It mm-hmm. didn't make sense when you first saw him, 
but you see him like when we first saw him in episode one it's like what the hell Stephen Ogg is a bad guy and then you see it two episodes later where they ramp him up so his character in that scene is still the ramped up version in future world from when they ramped him up previously with Charlotte right and that leads more credence to being a real reenaction because his compassion or whatever was was uh, or I forget the virtue or whatever was ramped mm-hmm. up. Uh, the other thing is we only see him that one time, so that's that goes to so Bernard could be a real event. He could be in a acted loop or a a virtual simulation loop, and that your theory there brings it to a real loop. Because that would be a real thing that a simulation wouldn't pick up because that was something that changed in the real world. A simulated Stephen Ock wouldn't have that. It, I, or just, read this with The only reason it stood out is because I like Stephen Ock. And so when I saw that, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then you see him Correct. three episodes later and that's where it makes sense. But you're, that what happens later might lead to your that walking past. I don't know. We're not allowed to talk about yeah. that or not. Well, well, <laughs> well the thing is, is that cause we, cause we see them die in different orders. Yeah. Uh, or we see those dead bodies in different orders of that mm-hmm. scene. That could easily be it. Like he sees them say Bernard sees him being virtuous in that scene, but then maybe in a, in a future past, he's, uh, or in a previous past, he was the aggressive Stephen Ock in the, in that scene. And then they play the simulation through, realize that Bernard actually reprogrammed them later and then go back and then reset Stephen Ock's character to being different because they're probably, if it is a simulation, playing through stuff until the reality breaks for Bernard. Sure. And and then resetting and then keep going until he breaks, sort of like the human AI hybrid, sort of like the James Ellis hybrid. You mm-hmm. keep going until this reality is broken, figure out how not to break it again, restart. Um, so the creative information we have at this point is where they test host programming we know they test host programming through simulations there uh and this theory does fill a lot of holes uh oh sorry has needs holes for this theory to work so one of the holes in this theory is host simulations need to be a thing we're not for sure if they can uh fully simulate a host to this level yet but uh, we know the cradle does that so that needs to happen um and we also need the cradle needs to be functional because the cradle was burned down. If the cradle's burned down, how can you be simulating host right now? That's a big hole in this theory. Giant one. Um, we need to know that humans can enter the simulation because we see Charlotte, Strand, Stubbs all questioning Bernard for information. If this theory is Bernard's needs information, they're questioning him. And we see a fresh face Elsie later. We brought up something that, man, Elsie looks very clean. Well, that could be why she looks so clean. She's in a simulation. Now, Bernard needs to know something Delos wants bad. What one piece of info is that? We're not sure what that is. So that's a, a hole until we know what that is. What are they actually looking for? And this is a hole, realize something. Clementine brought Bernard to Elsie's cave. Clementine's with Dolores' crew across the park. How did she go off script, get Bernard, bring him to the cave? Like She is this part of... Uh, Ford's plan too of his story too she broke right there this leads more to it being a simulation a actual AI simulation because they can write that in there not realizing Clementine is with another group that we know about so there's holes in this and you're walking, this, I, the, you're walking with a peg leg on this one <laughs> I know I know exactly because there's stuff that holds it up like everything that's a hole there's something else that kind of brings it up this Clementine one was a hole but it also brings it up at the same time but 
it, there's there's a lot that needs to come out of this one because there's basically we don't know enough but i think it's it's very very interesting and i'm moving into the camp of i'm gonna continue work this one dave yeah so moving on to the sort of next iteration of of the multiple host bodies theory you know we've been talking an awful lot and we've had this running theory that there are multiple bernard bodies and that came from the fact that you know in the 11 days later bernard the one that's barely speaking and not really wearing his glasses and acting very oddly he also has no scar uh so we're thinking that that's where his control unit has been transferred maybe into a fresh Bernard body. So this week, Chris made an observation that led to connecting of a lot of dots in, in my mind. The Delos Tech discovers that a third of the drowned hosts had fresh control units. They were devoid of information or data, not just overwritten, but they were like new. So Chris was wondering if the drowned hosts were swapped hosts. So this made me start to think, okay, so what if Dolores, or maybe even Dolores with Bernard working together, uh, found a facility in the valley beyond? And this facility holds duplicates of host bodies. So you have multiple copies of Dolores or Bernard or whoever else you need a new body for. Which, by the way, makes an awful lot of sense for Westworld to function. Because if you think about it, think about the number of characters that are mangled and shot up and stabbed. And think about you're going to have to pull them out of the line and you're going to have to repair them before you can put them back into whatever storyline they need to be in. So by having multiple versions or bodies for each of the hosts, you can get them back out into um, into the park more quickly while you're fixing other versions which is why you also see you know hose down bullet riddled uh hosts you know kind of in a basement room and they're sort of just leisurely cleaning them off and getting them ready to to prep and put back out there so anyway so uh that idea of multiple bodies works um but for all of the ai who've earned the right to move on with dolores maybe she's putting blank control units into their doppelgangers bodies or into their copies bodies so that she could stage the drowning of those bodies so by those bodies washing up ashore it looks like all of those hosts have died including for instance teddy however this could easily have been a ruse for dolores to buy time for them all to escape westworld maybe through the door and get out into the real world, which we know is one of Dolores's motivations here. So this all could be part of Dolores's plan, right? And this could also be in some way Bernard helping Dolores in the end, because uh, we know that, or we think that he'll be the first to discover the new bodies. Uh, I personally believe that Bernard is going to find more than one of his own body Probably in episode six. I predicted it in five. We didn't see it, but I think it'll be in the next one. I really do. I think it's going to happen really soon because I think that it then sets up for, you know, if we start telling the audience in episode six, oh my gosh, big reveal, there's multiple Bernard bodies. Now there's another payoff maybe in episode nine or ten 
you know, that tells more about that big scene where we're using those multiple bodies for all the other hosts to set up this ruse. Um, maybe the cradle is that facility where the d doubles are. Maybe it's uh, something entirely different. I tend to lean toward thinking that it's a different thing than what we're talking about here. Um, but I think that it also largely fits into kind of some things that I think are coming uh, previously. You know, the idea of Ford being the one who's actually successful in making hybrids work. And so making a hybrid of himself and being there waiting for Dolores or William in Black or whoever makes it to the valley so that he can kind of push them along and, and congratulate them on making it there and, and show them the way forward. So, um... You're the winner of the golden ticket. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. That's right. So that's kind of um, where I'm at. There's a couple of things that, that lead to that. One, they said they were draining that valley beyond. So they're draining the water out of there. They're about to find something. Like, they'll find out what was ever underneath it. Two, uh, I really believe that the story that I was talking about with the Confederatas and the Blue Tongue also is valid for this, too. She, again, smoke screen. Smoke causes people to worry about the host bodies, not about what she's doing. It's smoke and mirrors. Like, you know don't look at me over here look at me over here the cradle thing really has me wondering about something that potentially might be shown later <laughs> and i don't want to talk about that but that's what it has me wondering about so I, i'm not going to dive into it here because we're going to talk about that in a minute so okay um and i'm going to talk about one theory that i this is a continuation of a theory as well so this was one that i brought up earlier like right after we saw dolores and what we assumed was Arnold from a long time ago in that interrogation room, like we always saw dressed up like that. We all said, uh, after I brought it up and shared with you guys, we were in agreement. This has to be in the future. There's no way they show that. It's too much like too much like this show to do something like this and just to trick us. This has to be sometime in the future. This isn't 35 years ago. And the theory is that it was Del Dolores interrogating Bernard and not Arnold interrogating Dolores there. Um, and they dropped something in the trailer there that really, really makes this almost true at this point. Um, Dolores, Bernard makes a little speech and Dolores says to him, no, that's not what he said. And so this one is huge because it, it basically, basically just proves it, Chris. Okay. You know I want to be on board on this because I was tooting this from, like, episode one. But mm -hmm. my only thought is, is did they cut this so that it looked like she was saying that's not what he said and it's not from that particular scene, but she's stating something that Ford might have said or something. That's not what Arnold said. Like, meaning, uh... like, saying to him, that's not what he said. Like, meaning, it just cut the right way. There are scenes that are right. cut certain ways. For I'm, trailers, yeah. I'm just... Mm, I'm gonna be hesitant on it. You're, I, you're, I won't, you're good. Hold off hope. Okay, yeah, good hold yeah. Off I'm gonna hope. I'm gonna hold off hope on that one. I want it to be true, but I'm gonna hold off hope on that one just because I've been burned too many times with those. Hey, I'll listen. I've been on a lot of Last Jedi and Star Wars episode or er, trailers, man. I, I've seen some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just look at Adventures of Infinity War. They weren't running through the jungle like that. Hook went there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean. Uh, Dave knows uh, all too well about uh, Kylo and her talking to each other and what we thought the hell that was. So <laughs> in any case, I hope it's true. 
I, it would be awesome <laughs> if it wasn't. They showed a couple of things in that in that, and I honest honestly, I hate watching those. I, I typically don't, but I happen to catch this one. And um, there's a lot of stuff that leads credence to conversations about what we talk about the cradle um, and and other stuff that that's going to be coming up in this upcoming episode. Dave, I feel like you're right about the payoff on Bernard. They have to pay off soon because they can't just keep dragging along. Otherwise, this is it, it loses interest. I don't care that he's dish. You know he's disinterested in what's going on in in eleven years until I find out why. So they've got to pay it off soon. You know they have, another they have to show thought us about also Bernard, actually. You know how that that eleven days later Bernard does not speak very much. I wonder if. Yep. Uh, so where is the control unit Bernard? Like the real Bernard control unit? Because if that's a um, kind of a copy of Bernard. And maybe it's got kind of one of those fresh control units in it, which is why he's kind of acting really dumb or really confused or not speaking very much. You know, that's that's a possibility there, too. Dave, are you saying mm-hmm. there's multiple Bernards in different places? Yes. <laughs> I'm still this one Bernard solo at a time. Well, there, I, there's one, there's one control alive. unit. When I say, like, the real Bernard, I mean the control unit that has his consciousness in it. Mm. Uh, but there could be the real consciousness Bernard walking around somewhere, and there could be a different control unit driving around another Bernard body somewhere else. That double Bernard theory is still alive and kicking. It's, it, it's alive. I wouldn't say it's kicking anything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, man. It, uh, it, it hasn't been disproven, and we're six episodes in. So true. <laughs> Although the according scar, to Dave, we'll man. find out next the week. Hey. Yeah. It, it also hasn't been disproven that Tom Selleck's going to make a guest appearance, but nobody's talking about that either. No, no. but man. So what others? Uh, how else do you explain the lack of scar in Bernard in the Eleven Days Later timeline? Oh no, I'm talking about a new Bernard, not a duplicate, not a simultaneous duplicate. Oh, I see. Chris's theory was simultaneous duplicate. Mine was uh, a a single gotcha. Bernard active at one time only. No, no two Bernards active at a time. Gotcha. So, really quickly, kind of off topic with predictions. I know we talked about the fact that Shogun World was considered a upper echelon or people who wanted to take it to the next level from Westworld's camp, air quotes, campiness. So, um, my thoughts were that it was a little bit more personal because of Blades and Steel and Arrows. But like, as you see it, like what, what would cause somebody to want to go to that as opposed to I to Westworld as far as danger? There's, or, there's tons of Kurosawa fans out there and tons of people from the Orient who would want to experience their history just like people here would want to experience the American West history. What I think was interesting is the fact that because the, uh, these folks all spoke different languages and the only reason it's been turned off is because they of what's going on right now. Otherwise, they'd be able to understand because somebody who is speaking English to them in Shogun World, they would be under, able to understand that English and then speak to them in English. But it's turned off. So that's why mm-hmm. they speak in their native tongue. Right. So And Maves is turned on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it, it's just, it was helpful that they kind of explained that away real quick because I was everybody was wondering why she didn't understand the Lakota. Like, what's going on? Like, does she not have powers anymore? Because otherwise she's just somebody who doesn't have any more powers away from the Mesa and she runs a lot and, <laughs> yeah. it's, and it's like, Oh, now she, now she can see her power. So I, I think that was interesting. It was great that they did that because again, if they waited too long to talk about it, 
people would be like six ep- or if we would have waited to episode nine or ten everybody had been like what the hell that doesn't make any sense now like why why did we go through four other episodes so. yeah like this one it, it, quick payoffs the season has a little bit more quick payoffs like the dolores and teddy thing we saw teddy uh betrayed dolores's order and then we saw early stuff with dolores uh saying negative stuff about telly Teddy, which almost seemed like a future setup, like this is going to be some future reveal later where Dolores is going to betray him, and they paid it off in the episode. So they didn't even let it continue further on than that. So I like that. I, I was writing down like, oh, this is going to happen in the future. It's going to happen in the future. I was taking notes on what was, ha- what was going to happen from everything she did, and then they paid it off right away. Like, all right, delete all that because <laughs> I got it. No more predictions. I think one of the biggest questions they're still leaving us with going moving forward is who is Emily, who is Grace? But, like, that's a really big question. That end scene was almost as much as the, the Shogun coming after her, or Ronin coming after her. We don't know if it's Emily. We don't know if it's Grace. We don't know who she is. Hi, Dad. Yeah, I don't understand that's the his question. Daughter. The question who is, is, is they've never. Who is Grace? She's just an IMDb red herring at this point. Yeah, that's I don't, I don't she think is. she's really a character in the show at all. I think that was so just a it, name they stuck there. So is Emily. The they haven't called her by her first name in any any one of the two episodes. They haven't called her by name. In episode two, they called his daughter by name, and then his daughter rides up to him and says, "Hi, Dad." Okay. We, those two things say Emily. They say, "This is my daughter, Emily," and then his daughter rides up and says, "Hi, Dad." She connected those dots, and so he says his daughter's name, and then his daughter says, "Hi, Dad." To me, that's Emily. It hasn't been said yet. To me, I. I don't, unless it's said, it isn't real. All right, well, we're going to go with uh, what we got wrong with Chris on this one whenever they actually say her name in a future episode. <laughs> I mean, it's like next time we saw her, like, yes, Emily, and he says her name to her. My only child, Emily, hi. And we're going to be like, what we got wrong, Chris? Listen, five? <laughs> the first time he calls her Grace, I'm going to send it right through the Discord immediately. <laughs> oh, dude, you're going to blow up our phones. And I, look, I'll admit you're wrong on that one because I am not buying that. If Grace is her middle I name, accept- I'll die. I'll accept all the punishments given. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. I think we've come to the conclusion of this this episode five. Yes, sir. All right. You can sign off. You, you can find us on email, podcast at geekologistradio.com, on Twitter at geekologistradio, minus the T for character restrictions, on the web, geekologistradio.com and ninjapancake.com for a family of podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Caucasian Saint, all one word. Chris, where can we find you? You can find me at Topher Noons. All right. And Dave, finish us out. Yep. At Big D112358. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Once again, this is Geekologist Radio on the Ninja Pancake family of podcasts. We will see you after episode six.